How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, If this is your first time tuning in, please feel free to let me know what you think of it. Uh, You can rate and review the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also reach out to me by DM on social media. I have TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can go there and let me know what it is you think. Uh, Also, what you think of the content I put on these apps. Um, And if for whatever reason you have more that you would like to let me know of and you'd like to send it in a longer form, uh, I do have an email set up for the podcast. It is in defense of liberation at gmail.com no caps no spaces but folks anyways if uh you know this is you coming back i hope that you are well i hope you are safe i hope you are healthy and i hope that you enjoy this show just as much as you enjoyed the last so i hope uh you know everyone has been doing their best to try to Uh, keep up on different things that are happening all over the world. Of course, we've talked multiple times about the conflict ongoing in the Ukraine. We've talked about the encirclement of China in the South China Sea by Australian and UK nuclear uh, submarines. We've also talked about the way in which the United States has used uh, international conflicts to fuel, fund, and uh, ultimately be a front for their imperialist empires. And, uh, of course, historically speaking, they are not the first. And so we have the uh, lucky opportunity to be able to look at history and to be able to learn from it. So I wanted to come in talk about this idea of sovereignty, this idea of self-determination, this idea of non-interventionism, and, uh, you know, trying to take out of it a socialist, you know, Marxist approach to international relations, interpersonal relations, and especially uh, interpersonal trade and, and war and and interactions. So anyways, of course, we know there's an ongoing conflict in the Donbass region, as well as the regions of the Donetsk, which is D-O-N-E-T-S-K, and the Luhansk, which is L-U-H-A-N-S-T-K. These are the two autonomous zones, as the Ukrainian government called them. Uh, that have recently declared their independence from the Ukraine and their alliance and allegiance with the Russian Federation. This was signed under multiple treaties by Putin, his administration, the Security Council, the uh, leaders of the uh, regions of uh, Donetsk and uh, Luhansk, and uh, it has become apparent that all of this has been blatantly ignored uh, by the United States, by NATO, by the European Union. And yet, when fools like Juan Guaido or, um, you know, the many others that the United States in recent years, but also for many, many years, uh, leading back into the early 1900s, the United States will support these illegitimate leaders like Janine Yanez, uh, who is currently on trial for her uh, illegal seizure of power. And, uh, you know, ultimately, this is not seen as dangerous. This is not seen as, you know, uh, a huge intensification of already existing uh, conflicts. Um, Instead, of course, the U.S. empire is allowed to do as it does and uh, just keep being an empire. 
But then when the Russian Federation, who is not just led by Putin, we must separate the identity politics of the Russia-Ukraine-US conflict. We must take out of it this idea of uh, purist, you know, ideology and politics. And we must instead replace for it an understanding of what is best for the peoples of the Ukraine, of uh, Russia, of the breakaway regions, as well as the people of the world. Because as we know, many people want to center imperialist war as a bad thing because, as Joe Biden says, oh, it'll bring up gas prices or it'll bring up food prices or, you know, like I think it was CBS or MSNBC who ran a story an hour into the conflict intensifying in the Ukraine saying how this was going to negatively affect the stock market. This is the reality which we're told is, you know, of utmost importance. But let us ask, whose reality does this mostly affect? I mean, sure, gas prices and food prices being very high definitely will affect the people. But gas prices and food prices are already incredibly high. And yet, nobody has questioned the fact that they continue to go up. Nobody has questioned the fact that throughout the pandemic, there were no price caps by the U.S. government put in place to protect the people of the United States. Only eviction moratoriums and temporary assistance, which was incapable of actually alleviating the things and the issues that were creating the mass poverty, which we are still seeing today. Then they go ahead and they revoke the Child Care Act. They go ahead and revoke any and all temporary assistance, such as emergency rental assistance programs. They go ahead and revoke, you know, things like uh, extra assistance to um, uh, employees who had been laid off during the pandemic. And they, uh, you know, essentially have left us out to, to drown. And now they're trying to tell us that we got to rally behind the U.S. empire one more time after 20 plus years of us dying, watching other people die, killing people across the world in Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq and in Syria and in Jordan and in Palestine and in uh, Pakistan and other regions throughout West Asia. They're trying to get us to go to war again? No, we have to say no. We cannot allow for war. You want to know why? Because there's no reason we have to go to war. The United States wants to go to war because the United States is a war economy. It's a war machine. All of our engineering jobs, you end up working for the military. If you want to go to college, most of the time, one of your only options is joining the military. If you want a stable career where you can get a retirement, which most people cannot get in any career anymore other than a 401k, guess what? You join the military. That's because this country, the imperialist empire that it is, creates an economy based on militarism so as to continue its perpetuation of the ruling class structure that is able to stay in place through the continued pillaging, raping, destruction, and ultimate theft of the world's resources, lands, people, and markets. Now, in moving forward, we have to understand that this is calls for a deeper analysis into what it means for the people to be in power, what it means for the you know, the sovereignty of nations to exist, what it means to allow for people to self-determine. Essentially, what we're looking for here, we are looking to take a better approach at trying to develop international relations. Because as we know, we live in a global capitalist, imperialist world. All of our products, all of our commodities, all of the things that we consume and use each and every day are ill-gotten goods which are acquired through the forced labor, 
uh, sweat work, uh, extraction of resources, debt traps, predatory lending, military occupation, and regime change and hybrid wars. We in the U.S. Empire have our grocery stores full, our clothing stores stocked, our, uh, you know, convenience stores fully loaded, because people all throughout the global south find themselves incapable of surviving without committing themselves 12, 14, 16 hours a day to work some tedious, dangerous, worth, uh, you know, ultimately worthless job in the sake of how it, it genuinely cripples the economies of these countries. And then they get locked in to a position where they are the exploited uh, resource by which the imperial empires support their wants and needs. Meaning they are at a certain point in the production um, process, which is very hard to come out of, especially when your only way to develop, your only way to trade, your only way to further and, you know, bolster your economy and GDP is by using the means by which you currently have to acquire wealth. So in a lot of African countries, in a lot of Latin American countries like Venezuela and Bolivia, who would very much like to get away from nationalization of resources, very much like to get away from extractive practices, they have to take their time in doing so, in developing uh, infrastructure and economies and workplaces and, you know, all kinds of systems that are then able to transition out of this period of, you know, exploitative uh, labor practices, exploitative um, uh, economy building. Otherwise, you know, you kind of have two options. You kind of use what you have and work it to to the point that you want it to go to, work it so that you can transition out of these practices, or you never do that. You just sit and you just, cur- you know, you just allow what is currently happening to continue and the exploitation never stops. In fact, oftentimes we see it intensifies. So, although a lot of us in the West, you know, have uh, this idea that, well, Russia or China or Vietnam or Bolivia or Venezuela or Nicaragua or Cuba or any of these countries that are actively working towards self-determination and sovereignty and working towards also building up their own infrastructure, economies, and nations... When we in the West turn a blind eye to this and instead just uh, debase and debunk it as, you know, uh, socialist, as uh, people-led, as important, because it is not perfect, it is not, you know, uh, eco-friendly, because it is, you know, uh, incapable of eradicating each and every contradiction Uh, that exists within those societies right away, then we ought to hold up a mirror to ourselves and really take the, uh, the energy and the attacks and the critiques that we have of these global south peoples and levy them against ourselves and our own organizations. I mean, we have organizations that are huge in this country. I'm talking millions of dollars going through these organizations, uh, you know, pockets. And yet, what do we see? We see a whole lot of webinars. We see a whole lot of, you know, book sales. We see a whole lot of uh, unity conferences. But we don't see a lot of grassroots movement building. We 
do, however, see it in many instances in its nucleus. But it seems to me that a lot of these large organizations that exist in the West, and I'm talking also here in uh, Europe as well, you know, there's a lot of large communist parties, a lot of large, you know, leftist and socialist programs and projects that have grant money, that have funds, that have uh, international presence. And yet, of all the things that we could be doing, we just keep having these goddamn webinars. And yeah, Spirit of Mandela, shout out to them. Attend the webinars. Go to the People's Forum webinars. Go to the um, uh, Friends of Socialist China webinars. Go to all of them. But also, you know, those of us who are in these organizations that are doing this work, we got to leave those, you know, webinars. We got to leave those unity conferences. We got to leave those, um, you know, once a week reading circles like I'm doing, right? And we got to take that out into the world. We got to take those ideas, those actions, those interests and formulate them into a plan, formulate them into a process by which we can bring the masses, bring the exploited and oppressed people themselves into the fight. If you look at a group like Troika Collective, That's T-R-O-I-K-A Collective. You can find them on social media. They were just in Nicaragua building international ties with Daniel Ortega. They were then in Honduras building international ties with uh, Xiomara Castro and the Libre Party. They were in uh, Alabama leading and participating in one of the strikes that was being held there by the Alabama coal miners. And they were there uh, fighting with different, you know, nurses, um, uh, doctors, uh, workers of all different kinds. Um, Then you have groups like the Red Condor Collective, who is actively assisting in the mass mobilization, which is happening in Colombia right now. Speaking of Colombia and speaking of mass mobilization... Uh, Let us look to the Just Cause for Abortion movement, which is a coalition between a hundred different organizations, which just uh, the other day was able to successfully pass new legislation, which allows for um, pregnancies to be aborted up to 24 weeks on uh, an elective basis. They also have in place three stipulations that say that if a woman was impregnated by uh, rape or incest, if a, you know, somebody who's given birth uh, is physically going to suffer or possibly die because of giving birth, or if the child will suffer or die because of the birth, uh, the person who has given birth also in those instances is given the option to abort, oftentimes usually urged to do so because of the safety of the individual who has given birth. Uh, so comparing that across the line to a bill that is going to be passed here in the United States, H.R. 3755, the quote, Women's Health Protection Act, which would effectively legalize abortion. It would re, uh, you know, strengthen the Roe v. Wade uh, finding at a time where Roe v. Wade and other uh, similar legislative uh, and legal precedents are being uh, eradicated. As we know, uh, uh, Greg Abbott in Texas is now going full fascist and we must denounce this. We must denounce this in the, the name of our trans comrades, in the name of our trans kids, in the name of our trans family members, in the name of our trans loved ones. We must denounce this recent bill by Greg Abbott, which is going to allow for people to sue and uh, ultimately try to take children away from parents for, quote, abusing children by allowing them to have gender reaffirming surgery or therapy or medication. Um, This is, you know, an active uh, assault on the LGBTQ plus community that many people are not speaking on. 
I recently saw the Revolutionary Left Radio and Red Menace, you know, uh, tag team posted a podcast called On the Transgender Question, which I plan to listen to and, and dive into because, you know, not for nothing, folks, I I see the immense transphobia that folks like uh, Esperanza Fonseca uh, has to deal with. I see the immense transphobia that is in my day-to-day life. Um, and uh, it's incredible how few socialists and communists really are willing to dedicate themselves to this struggle as they are willing to dedicate themselves to other struggles. We must unite to free all exploit and oppressed people from all forms of exploitation and oppression. Comparing this also, you know, uh, the abortion bill that was passed in uh, Colombia with the recent bills that were passed in Argentina and in Mexico shows that all of these have uh, much... uh, much to be desired, right? Much work still needs to be done as um, the round table for, um, oh, what was it? Oh no, one of the the organizations, round table is the name that it starts with. Um, One of the representatives was uh, Ana Gonzalez, I believe, um, who spoke about the fact that Uh, It's an incredible victory, considering the fact in Argentina, you know, you can only get an abortion up to 12 weeks. In Mexico, you can only get abortion up to 14 weeks. Um, There is much still to be done, but it is, you know, uh, celebration worthy because of all the work and the effort that those incredible uh, organizers and activists and groups have, have done building this movement that will continue to grow, that will never just die, that will never just cease to exist. But it also, you know, as as was pointed out by uh, this representative, it also in Colombia did not get rid of the criminal charge of seeking an abortion. Uh, We see this, of course, also in Texas, also in Florida, and places like that where um, different programs are being developed where you can sue uh, those who get abortions for up to $10,000, people who you feel have aided others in uh, getting abortions, you can also sue for up to $10,000. This is what we are using the criminal courts for, folks, not to put on trial Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, um, uh, you know, all these different assholes that put four to six trillion dollars in their pocket in the last three years while you probably had family members die. And then, you know, also considering the fact that these movements, right, that are taking place all across the global south, these are not movements against laws. These are not movements against bills and legislation. These are not movements against individual police officers or individual murders. These are movements that are wholeheartedly connected to an ever-growing interest of the exploited, working, and oppressed peoples globally to rid themselves of their exploiters. We see internationally even in nations like Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, that are trying to build towards a liberatory model where the masses of people themselves are in administrative power, are educated, are mobilized, and are organized and united fighting towards a scientific socialist approach, you still have internal forces which are strong enough, which are militarily, uh, you know, connected, which have uh, insane amounts of wealth, which are able to use these different forms and forces of power to put down or distract or to fight against these movements. And yet, as we look into places like Chile, in Colombia, in Brazil, in Portugal, in Spain, in Ethiopia, in Kenya, in Eritrea, in Swaziland, in all different places across 
Asia as well, such as in the Philippines, we see that these things are incapable of putting down the people. So when we talk about sovereignty, right, when we talk about self-determination, I personally feel as if we get a wrong approach mixed up in what that really means. We do not simply think, for example, in a country like Uganda, that rather than having a European or American bank that gives out extremely predatory loans, we do not think that a Ugandan bank that comes out that is ultimately most likely still financed by the same, uh, you know, loaners to come out and give loans that are a little less predatory. We do not consider this sovereignty. We do not consider this self-determination. We do not also want uh, militaries and officers and politicians, which are funded by trained by, supported by the United States, the European Union, AFRICOM, or any other international imperialist organization, we do not think that these groups, these people overthrowing the existing governments in a coup or a military junta or whatever it is that takes place is in is in fact sovereignty. We do not think that. What we are looking for, what we should be, you know, wanting to see happen in these nations is the masses of exploited and oppressed people kicking out their oppressors, kicking out their exploiters from each and every hall of power, expropriating their wealth, expropriating their land, getting rid of any and all forms of exploitation and oppression that can continue or begin to lay the seed for the continuance of the oppression of the masses anywhere. We do not think that a national bourgeoisie or a, uh, you know, quote, unquote, representative, such as, you know, Barack Obama or Kamala Harris, is in effect the same as a mass mobilization, say in this sense, uh, in comparison to Barack Obama or Kamala Harris, what we would instead want is a mass movement and mass organization of black folks here in the United States fighting for power, fighting for control, fighting for land, and fighting for peace. Um... This also, as we know, speaking historically, can only succeed in such lengths if it is actively supported by those outside of the communities which are being exploited and oppressed. If enslaved people who are put into forced labor in Asia or in Africa or in Latin America are working 14, 16-hour days with no money, with no homes, many of whom are illiterate, many of whom are unhealthy, many of whom have no support, if they themselves are expected to organize, fight, and lead a liberation movement by themselves against the strongest forces of repression, it's not going to be easy, at the very least. Look at, you know, Palestine, look at uh, uh, places like Colombia and Chile who over the course of years and years have seen different forms of violence, different forms of repression, different forms of occupation by the uh, external imperialist or colonial powers. So when we talk about sovereignty and self-determination, this can only come from a mass movement. This can only come from the organization of the exploited class. If we look into countries like Sudan and Mali and Swaziland and Kenya and South Africa and Palestine and Vietnam, right? Vietnam, not necessarily the same, but I I mention it because 
we have one of the most, uh, you know, uh, explicit anti-war movements that people know uh, in this country. We have that history tied to the Vietnamese people's struggle. So if you look at the sovereignty, the self-determination within Vietnam, and the difference between what we consider, quote, North Vietnam and what we consider, quote, North or South Vietnam, um, you see that what sovereignty is, is not aid, guns, bombs, and military occupation, financial coercion, and massive loans from imperialist powers so that you then can be in power. But it is, in fact, a mobilization and an organization of the people themselves who, you know, in Vietnam, were not eating. We're having to fight the Americans and the French. We're being tortured by, uh, you know, the military of South Vietnam who are being, you know, seeing their wives, their children, their mothers, their grandmothers kidnapped, raped, beaten, killed. Um, It was those people, it was the very masses themselves who were suffering under this awful uh, oppression of French colonialism and U.S. imperialism. It was the people themselves who fought and won and ultimately built a new Vietnam, a new society based on egalitarianism, based on equity, but most importantly, based on the dictatorship of the exploited class over the exploiters. We commonly hear hear this referred to as a dictatorship of the proletariat. And when we hear the word dictatorship, a lot of people get up in arms, right? Even those who might consider themselves leftists, they say this is authoritarian. This is a dictatorship. How can it be socialist? How can it be of the majority if it's a dictatorship? Why do we need a dictatorship if we have the majority? Because the majority of people are exploited and oppressed. But as many people have pointed out historically, and has, as history has shown itself, the only thing capable of overthrowing a dictatorship of the wealthy, powerful, exploiting class is an equally strong, equally united, but larger mass mobilization and organization known as the dictatorship of the proletariat, a.k.a. the dictatorship of the exploited, oppressed masses of people themselves. It is a class dictatorship in the same way that the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, the dictatorship of the uh, um, uh, capitalists and imperialists today is a dictatorship of the whole class. We might only see the government and the military as the dictatorship, but think also of the fact they control the economy, they control the media, they control the education, they control the resources, they control the workplaces, they control the labor forces, they control every industry that you can think of. That is a dictatorship. They have complete control. They have sovereign and self-determined power. The bourgeoisie, the ruling class, whatever you want to call them, the dictatorship of the exploiting class has full control. They have a dictatorship. Yet they call it a democracy. So a lot of what people get confused on is, okay, we need a real democracy. If we want to have a revolution, if we want to overthrow this dictatorship, if we want to put the people in power, we have to do it democratically. We have to do it in a way that is democratic. But what does democracy really mean? Like, take it away from any and all historical examples which it has been, you know, promulgated to you, and instead look at it today. What does democracy mean? Let's think about it. Let us think here of some of the most popularized democracies within our current system and structures. So you have, you know, in most people's minds, the North American nations of Canada and the United States. Then you also probably in that way would expect people to think of the European nations like 
Britain, uh, France, uh, Spain, Portugal, Italy. But most importantly, and this is one that I really want to speak on, people oftentimes think that these nations like Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, and other Eastern European nations, which usually are seen by uh, Western uh, uh, folks as the epitome of socialist values, of the epitome of, you know, democratic rights. So in this sense, let us investigate what that means. Let us look at these supposed democracies, these supposed socialist societies, and really break down whether or not they can be held to those names. So in nations in what we might call the Nordic states, we have a social welfare uh, set up, meaning that the economy is not entirely a privatized one that only um, gives the profit and the uh, wealth that is accumulated through, uh, you know, capitalist and imperialist production to the capitalists and the imperialists. A portion of the wealth that is earned is used to develop uh, healthcare, to develop education, and to provide it to people. Oftentimes, either at very low or free of cost. Um, they also have uh, job programs, housing initiatives, um, you know, addiction counseling, and things like that. That uh, can be provided free of charge as well, can be provided through uh, usually taxes. You know, it's never truly free. Um, you pay for it in one way or another. And here is the real kicker, and this is what I really want to focus on. In these nations that are supposedly so advanced, that are supposedly so democratic, that are supposedly so socialistic, you see some of the most subtle, yet some of the most um, unignorable forms of oppression, exploitation, racial and sexual violence, conservative backwards and religious uh, beliefs that are extremely harmful, extremely anti-LGBTQ+, uh, extremely uh, anti, you know, um, quote-unquote progressive. Um, and of course, this is important because these are the nations that here in the United States, I hear all of my liberal friends, all of my homies that I went to school with that like, you know, hated the Trump kids and hated the, uh, you know, conservatives and hated their mom and dad for being racist Republicans. Those folks grew up thinking, I'm going to go on a work study program to Spain and I'm going to backpack all across Europe and that's going to be it. I'm going to settle down and I'm going to be able to have health care and I'm going to be able to have, you know, education. Well, these things do not appear in a bubble. These things do not develop disconnected from their internationalist uh, character. So let us ask ourselves, who is it, even though they have been the mainstay of the labor, of the resources, of the markets, to the world, who is it that still to this day does not have plentiful hospitals and healthcare in their nations? Who is it that is shunned and shamed globally for being illiterate, for being poor, for being unhoused? It is the masses of the global South who build, produce, distribute 
each and every good which you and I consume. And yet, our understanding of democracy, our understanding of socialism, are nations which, rather than being, uh, you know, popular power or proletarianized nations where the exploited and oppressed masses are in charge, they are simply a nation where the ruling class has shifted most of its explicitly exploitative and oppressive practices outside of itself. As the United States, Canada, and European nations have for generations, they offshore or outsource their exploitation and further divide labor so as to disconnect from our daily consciousness the exploitation, oppression, violence, and suffering that is necessary for us to acquire the shirt that I'm wearing the food that we're eating, the coffee that we're drinking, the bandages we're putting on our arms, the resources that made the vaccines, and the labor that goes into each and every other commodity which we consume. And so, in the Nordic states, you have one of the most uh, advanced and one of the most consolidated forms of the dictatorship of the ruling class, the dictatorship of the capitalists, of the imperialists, of the bankers, of the oil executives, of the sex traffickers. And this is aired as some kind of socialist utopia. This is what we hear Bernie Sanders and AOC and Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and others like them talking about as a progressive movement forward. That is how bad the situation is, not only globally, but right here on Turtle Island. We have to understand then what sovereignty is, is when the people are in power. It has been, always will be, and can only be this way. I believe wholeheartedly in the ability and the necessity for the working people, the exploited masses, the people who themselves have been told their whole lives that they are too stupid, too ignorant, too backward, too whatever, to be able to be in charge of their own lives, to be able to be in charge of their own realities, of their own communities. We essentially pass in our lives from one authority figure to the next. And yet, at every opportunity, we are told that authority is what, you know, uh, turns people into monsters. Authority and power uh, corrupts. Uh, This can't be necessarily true. Because trying to compare across a spectrum of two different types of people, those who are oppressed and those who oppress, is a illogical and incorrect approach to analyzing the world around us. We have to center the class character of the reality that we are facing. Some people today are never going to be able to own land, own 
anything other than their shirt, their toothbrush, and maybe a, a vehicle to get to and fro wherever they need to go, it will, they will never, ever in their lifetime, if things continue as they are, be able to change that. And then there are people who own so much, who have so much wealth, so much power, so much control that they couldn't even use it, you know, if they wanted to in a lifetime, the amount of wealth that some of these people contain. And yet we are told that these are the people that should be in charge because they know what they're doing. You know, they're business people. Yeah, they're real good at running businesses, but what do businesses tend to do? Steal people's money. This is not an accusation against your, you know, business that you want to start with your homie or, you know, your grandpa's fucking... My grandpa ran a fucking uh, uh, paper company. So, like, this this isn't a challenge against my fucking grandpa. But it is a challenge against the fact that my grandpa was an employer, which means that he stole wages from his employees, two of whom were his children. That is a fact. My grandfather stole wages. He is a wealth uh, thief. And according to IRS statistics, wage theft is somewhere in between and I'm estimating here, so correct me if I'm wrong, somewhere between 50 and 500 times the amount annually that is stolen from workers than is stolen from all other forms of theft combined every year. This is an accusation against the fact that businesses exist for one purpose and one purpose only, and therefore can only serve one purpose, and that is profit, wealth, accumulation. Therefore, they exist to exploit workers because if it is a system based on profit and wealth accumulation, a business, go with me here, a business cannot make the same money that it puts out every single time it produces something and go even. It will end up going bankrupt. Or, as we've seen uh, in these last few months and in these last years, uh, a lot of, it will get swallowed up in a merger. These are yet another way in which the wealthy and powerful uh, loan er, lender, excuse me, launder, money between themselves is rather than, you know, for example, tops just became grand, uh, union or something like that. Some stupid fucking name, uh, tops, the grocery store that is. And so because of this, I would guarantee you that a majority of the CEOs and the, you know, uh, board of directors, the, uh, important people, quote unquote, in Topps's, you know, administration, I guarantee you they kept their jobs. They just now work for another company. But I bet, I bet you money that they fucking lay off a shit ton of workers. I bet you they lay off a shit ton of cashiers. I bet you they lay off a shit ton of fucking uh, truck drivers. Um... Because that's what they do. That's what a merger does. It consolidates, it centralizes, it concentrates its wealth into fewer and fewer hands so that they don't have to worry about giving Jim Bob over here retirement and Joe Schmo over here, uh, you know, um, workers comp and paying, you know, Charlotte's kids fucking college tuition or giving a 401k to uh, Jill over here or you know what I'm saying? Like the more people that they cannot have to pay, the less money that has to go into the less people's hands, the more of it goes into their pockets. That is what a business exists for. So sovereignty then, self-determination, building a socialist system 
we have to look at this business model. We have to look at this capitalist model and we have to ask ourselves, can there truly be such things as an egalitarian system under capitalism? Well, certainly, no, there can't be. We have to ask ourselves, can there be such thing as a democracy then under capitalism? Because if we know that this system, capitalism, the model by which we produce, consume, and commodify things, is an exploitative and oppressive one, then we know that there must be those who do the exploiting and those who are exploited. If those who are exploited are in positions of powerlessness, positions of, you know, dependency, positions of debt, of, you know, absolute desperation, we cannot say that then, especially when they do not have administrative control over the economy, over the industry, over the uh, government, over the society that in which they live, we cannot say they are equal to, in power, in control, in any way, shape, or form, the exploiters. We cannot then say that this is a democracy, at least not for everyone involved. It certainly is a democracy for the wealthy, the powerful, and those in charge, because each and every few years, they get to decide which one of them is going to go on oppressing us. But we ultimately just get to decide between the two, or between the few that go into Congress or the Senate or whatever. Under capitalism, electoralism is an opportunity for the people to choose every few years their new oppressor. However, in a sovereign self-determination model, in a socialistic revolution, in a socialist society, the objective is to, quote, balance out, unquote, that relationship. Now, obviously, we cannot think or expect that a class society of any kind will ever be equal. As Lenin speaks to, as many other people speak to, there will continue to be inequality, discrimination, and contradictions that we cannot forget about and we must put up fronts against in the socialist societies. So therefore, what this means is that we have to have a deep, 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 deep understanding of all of the above. To do so is one thing, but to be able to impact the reality is another. When socialist revolutions happen, the intention is to remove any and all control and power that is physical force, you know, military, the government, the economy, but also uh, the, uh, again, the economic forces, the uh, things that back them up, the religious forces, the day-to-day habits that keep capitalism going even after the revolution. Small production of farms, for example, that is something that leads people to become small producers, which gives yet another opportunity for capitalism to take off. We want, then, a society where we are working towards expropriating all of this wealth and power, holding it in the hands of the people in the state, which we now call the dictatorship of the proletariat, and allowing for all the exploited, say, you know, coal miners in Alabama, but also tech workers in in the Bay Area in California, and you know, uh, uh, taxi drivers in New York City, but also, you know, uh, nurses in New York City or in Chicago or in D.C. or in Detroit, right? All of them need to be given the power, the ability to make decisions to administrate their government that the wealthy and powerful ruling class has held away from them centuries, especially those people who have suffered under colonialism, under settler colonialism, under imperialism, and under, you know, extreme forms of slavery, of exploitation and oppression. We have to be able to build a society where a black woman in, uh, you know, 
South Africa is able to live an equal and honestly safe life just as a, you know, white man in the Netherlands can. And that equality in that way is not based on a presupposition of someone else being exploited. But in fact, where both people in their own way, in their own right, have control, have power, have the ability to create a society where it is equitable, where it is egalitarian, and where it is the intention to give everything that need be given to the people of these nations through the direct transfer of power into their hands. Now that is a long time coming and there is much to be done, but I believe right now is the time to get building. Right now is the time to believe, right now is the time to do. One last thing going forward, democracy, right? cannot be said to be this supreme ideal, this supreme important intention behind any truly socialist or communist reality. We need dictatorship in a democratic centralist fashion. And I guess democratic centralist, not necessarily. What I'm meaning to say is it can only be democracy for the exploited and oppressed masses through their dictatorship over their exploiters and oppressors. Otherwise, it's a democracy, which is a sham. Otherwise, it's a democracy, which is a lie. Otherwise, it's a democracy, which tries to tell us that Russia is invading Ukraine, that China is trying to take over the world, that, you know, uh, communism is one of the worst things ever, that uh, COVID is just a flu that uh, women's health is not important, that trans people aren't, you know, uh, human beings and shouldn't be treated as such. That is the democracy we live under. That is the same democracy that is allowing for incredibly large fascist movements in Hungary, in Germany, in Poland, in Romania, in Lithuania, all throughout in the UK, in France, in Italy, in uh, Israel, of course, in places like South Africa, in places like Brazil, in places like Colombia and Chile, and all over the world. Because, yeah, Chile, they got a big uh, movement against uh, Bolivian immigrants. Not as big as the movement against the movement against Bolivian immigrants. But still, it's important to understand that these are the quote-unquote democracies that exist that allow for people every single fucking day to be killed by police, to be killed by militaries, to be killed by starvation, to be killed by a lack of health uh, uh, coverage, by a lack of health services, by a lack of medication. This is the same society, the same democracy, the same supposed liberal society that allowed for the pollution, destruction, and absolute decimation of the land, water, and air that we breathe, live on, and drink every single fucking day. If that's the democracy you want, then my friend, go for it. But let me just tell you, you are no friend of mine. The only democracy that can ever exist is the democracy which is created after the transitionary period between capitalism and communism. And that democracy cannot even be called such because upon which we get to a time where uh, we all truly are equal, where we are all truly uh, you know, free and, and living in an equitable society, by the time we reach communism, democracy as an ideal will be subpar to the actual reality that we live in because democracy as it developed, developed out of bourgeois revolutions where a minority of the population, the producers, the small uh, uh, artisans, the capitalists, right, they wanted power so that democracy became a tool by which they came to power and overthrew the medieval and feudal uh, systems. But now that democracy is a tool by which the current capitalist and imperialist empire has been able to be maintained. So therefore, democracy is only democracy for the oppressors. Thank you for listening, folks. I hope you are well. 
go get organized, reach out to groups all over the world, reach out to the Just Cause for Abortion movement in Colombia, reach out to uh, different groups in your area, go knock on doors, go join a tenant union, develop a a demonstration to uh, fight against these, uh, you know, uh, ongoing militarization of the uh, Ukrainian area and of also in the global south across the world. And uh, let's fight for a socialist society. Yeah. Long live the revolution, folks. We'll see you next time. Peace.